shifting. In a place where you can actually communicate perfectly with your own language, but at the same time feeling very alien. Shifting. Voices. From Spain, but you don't sound Spanish, so. Shifting. Voices. Spoken Portuguese is quite Brazilian. Shifting. Voices. And I'm speaking Spanish, or I'm speaking Portuguese, or I'm speaking Japanese, and I'm almost like a different person. Shifting. Voices. Welcome back to the Shifting Voices podcast, a podcast that takes a closer look at the relationship between second language learning and identity attempting to discover different ways people have tackled discovering themselves while sifting through various complexities of their second language. Today's special guest is Jorge Alberto Galloway Pequeres. Jorge and I first met in Yamaguchi, Japan as members of the JET program back in 2011. I was an ALT, which is an assistant language teacher representing Canada, and Jorge a CIR, which is a coordinator for international relations representing Spain. As a CIR, Jorge needed a strong command of Japanese to carry out his daily duties and as such are my first memories of Jorge, effortlessly communicating in Japanese. I was inspired by Jorge's command of Japanese and was excited to speak with him in the language whenever we got together. The more I got to know Jorge, the more I learned about him, including his linguistic background, which is what we will mostly uncover today. I am curious to find out what Jorge's take is on learning multiple languages across various contexts and just how he maintains such posture with his fluency. So welcome to Shifting Voices, Jorge. How is everything going in Osaka? Thank you. Well, thank you for the great introduction. I, I, I wouldn't even see myself in such a lofty way, but hey, thank you. Thank you so much. Mm. <laughs> yeah, Osaka is, we're in the, we're next week, Obon is going to start the summer holidays here. So it's going to, it's quite hot. And, uh, and uh, a typhoon just, I mean, missed us by a little bit. So, I mean, thankfully, we're going to still get some good weather maybe enjoy the outdoors when it's not too hot i guess right yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly join the area nice nice and into the, the the realms of the japanese summer right exactly <laughs> <That's amazing>. right <laughs> yeah in the middle right coming up on when the when our ancestors come to visit us exactly that's a whole different story <laughs> for another day <laughs> right 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 so with Jorge, I want, I, I'm not sure where we should start with your language story. So I think first off, I want to put you on the map because I think when yeah. we when we meet each other, especially when we're living abroad, you know, that first question is, hey, where are you from? So exactly. the first question is like, it's a two-part question. So Jorge, where are you from and where have you lived in this world? Okay. Hmm. Wow. Well, the the... The easy, the easy answer I always give, not to make it too complicated, so I just say I'm Spanish, but I'm uh, from Madrid, from the capital of Spain, but about it I can be, I can explain a little bit more. But um, actually, I, I, when I, when I was in elementary school, well, two times separately, once in from fourth grade to sixth grade, and then in middle school, I actually I lived in Venezuela. I lived in uh, in Caracas and in Valencia, in two cities, because of my dad's job. So. Um, and actually, we'll like we'll talk about the language afterwards, which is it's a Spanish-speaking country, but in a way different uh, situation, uh, cultural. Uh, let's say in a cultural background, uh, completely different from the case of Spain, but but in 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 a place where you can actually communicate perfectly with your own language, but at the same time feeling very alien at the same time. Um, after that, actually, uh, I actually went to becoming going back and forth in between Spain and, and Caracas and then in the capital of Venezuela. 
And then after that, I actually, uh, because again, because of my related with my dad's job in maritime transport, I actually ended up living in uh, in Weston, which is a community about 45 minutes north of Miami in South Florida in the United States. And uh, and that's, I guess I got there when I was 14. I was in my sophomore, I just got in into 10th grade in the sophomore year of of high school in the United States, and uh, and yeah, and uh, actually, I mean, this is maybe one of the reasons why I have this this accent when I speak English, which people I say you're from you're from Spain, but you don't sound Spanish. So, <laughs> um, but then again, it's and and actually, I mean, I guess afterwards we can talk about this in terms of uh, I mean, you get to learn English. I mean, you get to you get you get into a community, and you have to use you know you have to go through high school and everything, and 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 you're not really and I. By the age, I already had quite a already a, a set uh, language, an idea of what language was. But then you're you're still in that sponge stage where just you just even like without even realizing you're just absorbing everything that's around you. But um, and yeah, and then after that, I I graduated from high school, and uh, I mean because of decisions of mostly made money and, and and just trying to see different sites, I actually decided to go back to Spain, and. Uh, and then I actually went back to Spain to to major in English language. Actually, it's called uh, English philology in continental Europe. That's how they call it. It's it's a mixture of of linguistics and uh, and let's say the part of the literature part, and then there's pragmatics. There's just a little bit of everything on the language. And uh, I really I I loved English language, and up until then was kind of just enjoying like somebody who enjoys cars by seeing pictures of them or seeing races and. And four years into into university, learning about English language and all its facets, it was kind of like just like opening up that car and just seeing under the hood and just like taking it taking it apart and seeing all the pieces and and just got to see all the better parts of it. And um, but yeah, and then actually after that, my um, uh, my first job experience after graduating had to do with uh, I mean I was actually starting working for a Canadian company. I think I told you about this, which actually hired me to open up a branch of, a, of let's say, of a, I mean, it's a customer check experience sort of uh, a venture that was, and I actually had to, for two years, I was going back and forth in between the UK and Spain for opening up this new branch, and which I, then again, it gave me, I was learning all about this, uh, let's say, British English and back in the university in Spain, and I actually got to see it go to the different uh, i worked in scotland i worked in birmingham in the in the in the mid part of the of england so i just got to see all those different englishes as well and um and actually through being in london i started uh that's how i got to get in touch with japanese again i mean for the first time i would say uh, more in let's say i mean deep into it i guess and um, it was just, I mean, I, I close to where I used to work at, there were there was this Japan center, this cultural center, and then, and I sort of after work sometimes I would just go by, and there would be cultural events, and I sort of like became a regular whenever I had a chance to go, get and just getting books on the on the different writing systems on hiragana and katakana, and sort of studying on my own, and uh, and I just realized I this is really something that I wanted to take forward. I mean, I, the, that I wanted to push further in terms of learning. I had, um, I always had, I loved video games and, uh, and Japanese culture in general, and but I hadn't really, hadn't really had the opportunity maybe, or just 
at that time the internet or I mean being able to self-study was not as as developed as it is right now so um but yeah so actually I, after after working for two years I decided to go back to Spain and uh and I majored in another uh in a East Asian studies which uh I mean it's not Japanese language was a part of it but it was a good introduction because in both English and Spanish you learn about a little bit of everything culture and literature and economics and it was it's a, it's a very good introduction but definitely to become proficient not enough so I kept on looking for other opportunities and that's how uh in the end I actually I found uh this uh this job opportunity where we actually met the jet program to work in uh in Yamaguchi prefecture in the south of Japan which I think compared to a lot of people what's interesting is that I I mean I had without actually having lived in Japan I had studied quite a bit and I had I mean I in the terms of we talked about the end the, the Japanese proficiency language I mean I had been able to get up to an N2 in terms of if that works in any way to just to to rate how somebody's let's say foreign language proficiency goes mm. and uh and yeah and it, and it was very quite interesting in terms I mean I think it's a bit different from other people in terms of I I ended up overseas without actually never been here in I mean without being here in Japan uh, being able to communicate and learn and then how even though once you get here you actually you can understand a lot of things there's so many other things which I never really got to experience because I had never been here there your 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 proficiencies are so lopsided in terms of things that can be learned from overseas and things that you just have to experience and and that was actually quite uh, interesting I mean maybe in terms of Japanese uh, of um, of reading or something maybe I had a higher level as somebody who had been in Japan for a year or two but their daily life experiences and everything they had much more I don't know I, I guess Japanese uh, let's say understanding the the context of the situations of what happens every day and so yeah I mean uh, and then after that I mean I've been and now I work in the in the university uh, I work in an international relations part of the university first in Yamaguchi prefecture and now here in in the Kansai area in in Kobe so um yeah I'm, I've always been uh, around the education field I would say and 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 these are it's a long story but these were <laughs> the, pretty much the the languages and uh yes uh, you I forgot to I I'm gonna I'm gonna squeeze it in now but in when I was in high school I became really good friends with one of my best friends is a, a Brazilian family that lived close to my family and that, that's my my story how I get to start with Portuguese and it was quite a it's it's quite close to Spanish but at the same time quite different which I found it very fascinating and actually while I was in my uh, studying English philology in the university in Spain my my second language was actually Portuguese and and I actually had a I was able to join a, a summer program for for a month and a half in in, in Estoril which is about uh, uh, an hour north of Lisbon in Portugal so that's also in terms of Portuguese is quite interesting because my spoken Portuguese is quite Brazilian but then uh, but then all the actual learning that I did on learning grammar and writing and everything I did in the university in Spain, which is extremely Portugal, Portuguese, let's say. And then I actually, when I was for a month there, I mean, of course, my proficiency went way up. And I but for some reason, the, the Brazilian just stuck. <laughs> so, but yeah, so there so those are the four languages and then my stories with them. 
Nice, nice. So you got the four languages. So you, growing up in Spain, you got Spanish. Moved to moved to Weston, Florida at fourteen. With, the first Venezuela. And oh, then, oh, back to Venezuela. Okay, and then then to then to to Florida. And then South Florida. Yes. South Florida, and then back to Spain. Exactly. Little little bit of stay over in London and in the UK area. Back to Spain. Exactly. And then to Japan, where you currently are. Exactly. Okay. I think I've got you on the map now. I can mentally envision your story a little better yeah. now. So I want to go back to, um, at, so before you moved to Western Florida, yeah. um, and you're growing up in Spain, was there any, were you learning English at all in school? Or how, what was the experience like as a young learner of English in Spain? If you could share anything yeah. about that. Yeah. Well, Actually, I mean, in, in terms of, of, the, of the language that you learn in school, I mean, you have your typical, you know, you have your classes where you you learn you learn your vocab, you learn your ABCs, your vocab when when you start from quite early. So it's not it wasn't really bilingual education or anything. It was just one more subject that we had. And uh, but I would say, I mean, it's I mean, uh, you you learn. I mean, you have you you keep a diary. You learn. I mean, basic let's say vocab skills. But I. Definitely the biggest thing I would say, my the whole interested that I, I mean, besides this, just uh, I have two older brothers and they were quite interested in, for example, in music in England from the United States and the UK. It was the early 90s. Grunge music was uh, was, uh, was, at its, was at its apex, I would say. And then I grew up, I mean, first, actually, I mean, it's a little bit of everything. I mean, I would say the we had when we more than Spain when we when we moved to Caracas we had cable television and we actually had access to MTV. We're talking about late '80s Yo Raps and uh, MTV. Uh, what is it? Headbangers Ball? I mean, oh, right, just right. completely, yeah. just just loads of music and uh, just you know you buy your CD, you get your lyrics, you read the lyrics, you want to find out what they're about. Um, after that, we there's there's video games, which that actually then that that sort of segues into Japanese afterwards. But uh, but uh, but yeah, but the experience I would say that before arriving to to Western to South Florida, I would have I already had like almost seventy percent of the English mm. that I that I already have. I mean, uh, pretty much what what happened after getting to South Florida was just you know the input in terms of. For example, pronunciation and, and and being able to, I mean, communicate. I actually, I mean, through my uh, when I got to the high school, I wasn't really sure why, but my counselor just put me into a debate class, which for somebody who had never <laughs> lived in it, there's all these kids who want to be lawyers, and they have and and they're just they 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 have all these ways of speaking, and it's all just perfect arguments going back and forth, and I was just in there, just like seeing everything going on and. But it actually was just so helpful to being mm -hmm. able, I mean, just learn so much about, I mean, dialectics and, and being able to, I mean, learn what a, what a Lincoln-Douglas debate is. And I mean, at the same time, learn so much about, I don't know, United States history, government, and you have, you need, you need to memorize speeches and, 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 and actually you need to do declamation and you team debates. And but yeah, that was, that was definitely a, uh, the big last push I needed, I guess, in my in my English. Sure. So, it, for so you was that fourteen year what in grade nine? Yes, grade I was. I was fourteen, for... and yes, I, I'm forgetting about one more thing, which yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, like I'm speaking too much. Um, through loving video games and everything, and I got into my classes in high school. Uh, I found into a group of kids who loved tabletop RPG, which I don't know if 
if you're familiar with this, if, if everybody who's listening to this, if I say maybe Dungeons and Dragons mm. or something, maybe this rings a bell, but it's something in between, uh, I don't know, fantasy worlds and, and geeky people and then just people with actually who end up getting a lot better at their thespian skills of acting because you you have a character and you and somebody who is actually telling a story, everything is just telling a story and you're acting sort of interacting in them and it's it's a it's a game you have dice to sort of make the the game go along but then most of the situations you need to actually talk and interact and get through whatever you want to do in the game through talking and this was also huge for my communication skills I was I mean the whole motivation of having all you know you're with these kids and you're playing this game and 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 there's nothing there's no screen there's nothing everything that's happening is just what everybody's talking and it just really and it and it really incorporates you into this and and actually sometimes whenever i get a chance I'm, i i teach english to this i mean sometimes in private classes now here in japan and when the time time allows it i try to make a much more simplified version but sometimes i just i mean i get a whole bunch of third i mean the japanese women in their 30s to do actually do an rpg session <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of people find them quite rewarding actually so it's mm-hmm. that's i mean i'm this is in, in terms of uh, things that actually, I mean, got to the to the English that I have right now, I guess. Sure, yes. sure. Yeah, so it, so- it sounds like, you know, you had a connection to the language even, even before you left Spain at that young age with, you mentioned, oh, yeah. being connected to the grunge music of the era and having two oh, yeah. older brothers probably providing you with, I mean, I had, I had an older brother too. They're wonderful resources for music. That's how I got into like Nirvana <laughs> and Green Day and... It's like, what is he listening exactly. to? And they go into his room and take his records. So that's 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 pretty pretty amazing. But when you so when you get to Florida, I mean, you must have had an imagination of what it would be like to live in the states. Was it? Did it live up to any expectation you had, or were there any surprises or any any challenges that you had as as a as a high school student? You know, acclimating into into a new culture, really. And and yeah. I'm not too familiar with South Florida, but um, I imagine it's quite different than growing up in Spain. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I can imagine most people, I mean, uh, here in the podcast, I mean, they have an idea of what the United States is like. And mm-hmm. and uh, it's it, it was sort of a borderlands of sorts. I mean, the, 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 the image that people have of South Florida, especially, is a, is a very multicultural place with, uh, with I mean, uh, with a with a very large uh, Hispanic population and, and Spanish being used everywhere, which is actually the case of, uh, for example, of Miami, Dade County, and the southern part of uh, Fort Lauderdale, Broward County. But um, it was interesting because I, the community where I lived in, in Weston, and my, uh, it was it was your typical, I don't know, I mean, uh, suburban community. I mean, made ten years ago by a by an by an organization company, and and everything just is your picket fences sort of thing, which is completely not South Florida. It just feels like some some let's say I mean a uh, middle middle class neighborhood being taken out from the Midwest and just put in the middle of the Everglades. And but then at the same time, and it was very in, in those terms traditionally American. But then at the same time, I think my high, the high school where I was at, out of nowhere in, in less than five years, they went from a I think it was five to six percent population of uh, like students that came directly from overseas to a when I got there it was like a twenty five or twenty six percent, and out of from this we're talking about 
more than 20% of people coming from South America and from Spanish and Portuguese speaking countries. And the high school was just completely overwhelmed. We actually had four different campuses because they were made in portables. And there were so many people that just came into the immigration, immigrating to South Florida, an influx that happened quite fast. And there were, I think that high school was just trying to cope. We, my graduation class was uh, more 1300 people. My, my graduation ceremony was three plus hours. <laughs> so anyhow, I mean, what I'm trying to get here is that there were, there was this tip, I, I, in structure wise, it was very, the, to the, like say the typical American suburban experience that you see in films and in many media. But, but then at the same time, there were all these, we, we were all these students that were coming from overseas at the same time. And we, we were really just changing the whole the whole situation and maybe just the whole the uh, the Hispanic community was just going north let's say from mm-hmm. from coming from Miami going up in the in this parts of south, northern southern Florida let's say but um but yeah com- the images that i had of 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 the united states there were some of them were let's say i mean they were met when i when they got typical the football team the the homecoming game blah 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 there were all these things were happening but then at the same time, you had students and you had the, the, all the, the communities that are going up, which is it's completely different from what people from what people know and the expectations that they had. So there were sort of these two worlds colliding at the same time. I think now where that could mean it's been over 20 years now. And if you go to that same place now, it has a new high school. And I mean, that where, where like right now, the it's much more space out all those all those portables have now. I mean, they, I mean, they don't use them anymore. I think so. It was, it was, it was sort of a. It, I, I was in the middle of a shift, I guess, in that area of, of the United States. Hmm. So, yeah. so yeah. So you mentioned too, like you were, you were just fascinated by by English at the, at the during this time with the analogy of the on being under like the, looking at under a car hood, and so when you were when you were there, did you were you able to connect immediately with a community of a group of friends or sports teams or what was it? I mean, I guess, was it a pleasant, pleasant transition as opposed to like a negative transition where it could go either way, right? In, in a situation like that coming from abroad to the U S was it, were you excited to be there? Was it, was it nice? And, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it was, I mean, uh, uh, as a community, I mean, being such a large high school and, and there were, I mean, you, it was more, something close related to it. I mean, it seemed more like a university than a high school. You just picked your classes and everybody in a different, it was, it was a different person, different people in every class. You went from one classroom to another and, and you end up, like you said, you're more than just like everybody being a class together and being friends or whatnot. I mean, I graduated without meeting, I mean, without ever actually talking to most people Mm -hmm. in my, I mean, to a lot of people in my, in my graduating class, but it, you end up the classes that you take, the, the 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 clubs yeah I joined I would join the baseball I mean the I would join the baseball team I joined the athletics team in the United States you have seasons it's not like for example in Japan where you just you need to join only one place you need you can just you know after one season ends you just join another mm-hmm. and um and yeah I mean the, uh, I mean it's changed a lot like I said before there's a lot now of people who are let's say born and bred in South Florida by now by the 2020s but when I was there, out of uh, my closest group of friends, which is the people that I told you before, we were playing uh, tabletop RPGs and whatnot. 
out of out of eight of us, only one person was born in South Florida. And uh, we're talking about a Haitian kid, uh, Brazilians. There was me. Uh, there was a there was a Chinese Canadian who was actually um, I mean who then moved to South Florida. So we're 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 just sort of like a we could kind of we kind of look like Captain Planet. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but yeah, but and and that also gave everybody a different background and and on our English in terms of. of of learning about culture and community and it just enriched us so much more. So um, it's, it's this multicultural background where I was, which I, in, in a way, definitely it, it helps you see many different situations with in terms of language, the more different situations and cultural backgrounds you come in touch with, the more different, let's say linguistic structures and the more, um, let's say, I mean, the different situations that you need to understand and different situations require different ways to express and ways to use English, which it just makes it all the much, all, all, all much more richer, I think, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you, I don't know if you, if, if somebody needs to, if you explain in English, but I don't know, Chinese New Year at the same time as my Haitian friend telling me about voodoo, and then I don't know the Brazilian, the Brazilian friend talking to me about soccer. I mean, there's all these, there's all these different words and, and and let's say structures that come into play that definitely made it all much more. Uh, I mean, enriched the whole language as a whole. I think. Sure. Yeah. So you all were were communicating in in English about your your rich cultural backgrounds, right? Coming together yeah, in this new exactly. new language, but sharing about your your own self so that that sounds that sounds absolutely fascinating and sounds like a wonderful wonderful high school experience in in weston <laughs> so, yeah that's definitely. awesome i mean, I mean that's awesome. it was your typical yeah. nothing let, let's say like i mean unless you take the school bus if there's no school bus you just walk home there's no buses no i mean it was quite a different experience from living in spain where you can just move around in mass transport going everywhere and it was i mean it's a much more stay home let's say the cities are made in a different completely different way but i mean that's a whole different sure. story but sure. but but i learned i i think i did the i i try to make the best of it i think mm-hmm. yeah 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 sounds amazing so before we before we jump in into your japanese language studies i, I do want to touch on your portuguese studies a little bit this is where i yeah. don't know a lot about your background with portuguese you mentioned something about you know connecting with someone from brazil earlier um and i've always been curious with spanish and portuguese sometimes i i honestly will like go to google translate and i'll look up like words like what's the spanish word and what's the portuguese word and sometimes they're almost identically the same so just as someone interested in languages if you could just speak to i mean i understand they're completely separate languages but how similar or how different are they if you could just speak to yeah. that a little bit as a, as a learner of portuguese coming from your spanish background yeah um portuguese and spanish well i mean they're they're both uh they're one of the let's say eight or so iberian romans languages which uh they come from latin you have your you have your influence from uh from other from the iberians from arabic um from from the Iberic Peninsula being invaded by the Arabs for over 1,000 years. I mean, there's pretty much the same influences, and uh, and and they make. I mean, and you have your your Latin base, which makes it all very similar. The grammar 
it's quite uh, I mean it, I mean it's uh, it's quite consistent and it's it, at the same time this is a sort of a, a trap many times because they think oh this is just the same so I'm just gonna try and speak Spanish with a Portuguese sort of accent maybe it's gonna fly and and many times it does not especially when it comes to uh, things uh, with the way the, the the way the way things are written down the orthography because it's it's quite different uh, sometimes but um, I would say there's there's a big difference in between I, this is quite this is huge in between Spanish and Portuguese which is um, somebody who does not really know or really care about the other language and just goes and speaks in in just in, in their Spanish it's it's going to be quite different from somebody who has been to Portugal or to Brazil and cares about the culture or knows the, or knows certain songs or something, you already have this sort of, okay, so Portuguese sort of the, the, the parts that are the same and the parts that are not the same. Once you interact with it a little bit, you sort of see the pattern where, where it's the same and where it's not. And it, and it makes a huge difference. I mean, even if you're not, if you haven't actually studied the language, just interacting or having been there or having, it being in that conversation where like oh it's Portuguese so I'm sure it's going to be fine and there's like wait a second this is not getting through and it, you you start seeing like where it's the same and where it's not the same so and I think it has a lot to do with actually with interest in in the language for example in mm-hmm. in the case of Brazil the Brazilians are quite motivated to learn Spanish for for work related purposes I mean it's for them uh, most of the companies the Brazilian companies they want to expand into other South American market. So for them, it, there's a big motivation in learning Spanish uh, for work-related purposes. Spain and uh, in the case of Spain and Portugal, well, at the same time, a lot of the companies, the, they usually have, let's say, I mean, especially multinational companies, they try to keep just one office for both Portugal and Spain, and and it and it and it actually helps them in in this in this work-related scenario. But but yeah, I think once you have you have in your mind this patterns of uh, in, t- in terms of grammar, in terms of word formation, is 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 one of the biggest. Once you get that, it's. I mean, a lot of the word endings in Spanish. If if this is going to be sion, like I don't know, communication, this is going to be sion. If you know that it's going to be sao in Portuguese, then once you have other words and you start getting creative with using those, I mean, that word formation that you learn, you give it a try, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but. But uh, it's it's a lot of seeing the patterns underneath. I mean, uh, in terms of I mean of uh, of semantics uh, mm. uh, and and structure. And I mean, somebody who's inter- really interested in a language, I, I would say in under a year they can become I mean more than proficient in the language. Which definitely compared to other languages, I don't know, like Indonesian and Malaysian and, and other. I mean, it's it's quite it's quite close, definitely. Yes. Okay. So someone with a Spanish background would be able to acquire Portuguese you said within within a year but like with English to Portuguese would there be a little bit more of a barrier between the I guess the morphology or the like the how the language sets up I guess my my question is is it is it easier for someone with that knows Spanish to to learn Portuguese and vice versa versus someone that would you know what I mean yeah that makes sense that would definitely be the case and and in the term in, in the case of English, I I would I always I remember when I was in high school, like uh, I would always see this pattern where the words that in in English when you have the the the, the word bank of English language, 
uh, they, they always say that when you learn English at 80, 70, 80% comes from, you know, from mid-French and Latin and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But these words are not core words. The core words that you use in, in everyday language, they're usually the words that come from, you know, from Middle English, Anglo-Saxon, from, I mean, for Northern European languages. But so when you're in an English class in high school in the United States and you start learning all this, what they call the SAT words, mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know, you have something like, like difficult and uh, I, I don't know, like hard and difficult or hard and complicated. When you start seeing that the difficult, the, the more, uh, let's say, the words that you use in a, in a literary sense or in a, I mean, a, the more specific or difficult words, are, those are the ones that come from Latin. If you, if as a learner of English, if you can, if you can sort of keep that in your mind all the time and you, and as you're learning Portuguese or Spanish and you start thinking about those hard SAT words in English, most of the times, those hard SAT words in English are going to be Spanish words if you mm. change them a little bit. So, uh, if you're if you keep that in mind when you're learning Romance languages, I mean, it's it's a huge difference because a, a lot of the words you actually already know from English in terms of grammar is a, is a different story. But in the terms of, of vocabulary, this is keeping in mind. Uh, I'm not I'm not quite sure if this how this works in the terms in the UK or in other places, but knowing the the, the education system in high school, which in English classes, which just all these words are going to come out in SAT, in the SAT, and you have to learn them, and you and you just just lists of words and the definition and what they mean, and 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 for us, for the Spanish learners, they were like, oh, these are just a whole bunch of Spanish words, <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes nice. sometimes we would the 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 kids from from South America and from the Spanish and Portuguese play, uh, origin places, we actually sometimes got better grades than the natives because. This, all these different words were actually most of them from Latin origin. So mm -hmm. it's a little bit of an advantage there. That's interesting. So yeah. to, to have that aware that linguistic awareness between the two languages seems to be an important factor in in yeah. you know, pushing yourself into the the next levels of proficiency, right? So I think that's that's fascinating insight. That's awesome. So um, shifting over to now Japanese. Right. This is where I know most of your your background um, since we met yeah. in 2011. And I think it for me, it was like, wow, when I first met you and I had been in Japan for maybe a year at the time and I was really struggling with my own learning of, of Japanese. I had started maybe a couple of years before and I, I just remember being around you and watching you interact. And I was like, how in the world did he did he do this? <laughs> I was just fascinated by it, and I remember struggling through that first couple of years of the language. It's like it's just impossible. I can't, you know. A, it was hard to find people to to communicate with that would be willing to communicate with me. But how? What was your process like at at, at the early stages of learning Japanese, and what what was the connection to the language, and why did you why did you want to learn Japanese? Yeah. Well, in terms of for example, of, of learning and how the, I mean, if you taking a look at just learning the grammar in itself compared to other languages where, where I don't know, you have declensions and you have all these other difficult, let's say, I mean, quite much more complex uh, grammar structures. I mean, Japanese, I, I found it, I found it quite easy to go by and compared, for example, the big difference in Spanish with, uh, let's say, with, uh, with conjugations of verbs, which is endless, uh, many different types of future past and and in the, in terms of Japanese, I just thought, wow, this is future past, and you have your present continuous and and uh, conditionals. It's it, it was all, I mean, in terms of grammar, I found it quite 
easy to go along as everybody else and even to this day i still have problems with the i mean with uh, with the uh, with the particles but mm -hmm. i mean this is i mean this, i think this for foreigners is it's everybody has the same issue but um but yeah it's uh, as a as a language if we if we take a look at structure of everything i found it quite quite simple that i didn't see i mean i didn't in terms of grammar i didn't see anything too nonsensical or something too that like it doesn't matter and just in terms of i don't know in spanish you have you have the male and the female nouns and you know i mean there's no way around it but just to memorize them which i mean of course in case of kanji that's that's a whole different story mm -hmm. but but um but yeah i i started i had you know i mean the typical you learn you have the the loan words in english and spanish that you already know from mm -hmm. uh typical that everybody knows like i don't know, like ninja like tsunami and things like that and then once you start learning getting into the culture and learning more you you learn the typical like i don't know wabi-sabi and 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 typical like mono no aware all this all these culture related words which uh in order to know what they are you have to get a lot into the language i mean learning a lot about it in your own language i guess and uh but then at the same time having having that image once you start learning about about the grammar and knowing the difference about i mean knowing about ba place and uh where you're let's say your situation or where you're supposed to be it's it's quite um it's quite helpful in terms of uh knowing who you are and what situation you are at any given point spanish and portuguese also have uh not as detailed as uh as for as japanese but we do have an honorific system of sorts when you're talking in second person to refer to somebody who you're supposed to uh i mean with uh, talking to somebody you're supposed to i mean you know i mean i mean show respect or show your i mean uh, keep uh, distance from socially or and uh especially in, in venezuela when i lived in south america it was much more marked than in than in Spain, where everything is much more flat, let's say, independent, regardless of who you talk to, and being having lived over there and going through school in Venezuela, which was quite strict, and there were, I mean, then you depending on who you talk to, you have to speak in a certain way. This this was this really helped me uh, understanding this whole concept when it came when it came to Japanese. I I remember coming from Spain, where you could you didn't really need to use any honorifics to talk to teachers or anything, and and being reminded all the time you you, you can't talk like this. You gotta and and that sort of oh okay so there's this situation where I need to be aware of let's say of the social strata and where I'm at and where I'm at, where I'm supposed to be doing at this time. Not not every time it's the same. It's not the same talking to friends and to teachers and to quotes and, and to coworkers. And uh, these are sort of hints that in other languages that help me in Japanese, I mean, deal with the honorifics and, uh, and understanding how, you know, how language in the, in what's so fascinating about Japanese, how you can show how, how nice you are, or you can, or at least you try to show how nice you are through the use of language, which, uh, which, I mean, uh, it's a different story, but for example, in, a lot of people that come, especially from the Hispanic countries, into Japan, they say, "Well, nobody hugs. No, not there's not all this body contact." But and I always say to everybody, "Well, that's just because Japanese people hug you with their words, like the with the way they, the way they talk about things, and uh, and 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 
the way they explain things. If you really understand what they're telling you, they're really going out of their way to be polite or to be nice or to accommodate to you in a certain way through language. Hmm, that which, is, yeah, that's interesting. I never thought. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, the honorifics have that is obviously a challenge learning that as a as a second language learner of Japanese. But for um, I appreciate how you mentioned that hugs hugging with words. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But was what was there any challenges with picking up those contextual clues in Japan? Because I think you, you know you I don't know how you studied it before coming, but then it's like where how do you shift in and out of honorifics and what where do you do you add the you know you know the mas and the the yeah. all those extra inflections to the language that maybe so how what was your experience like contextually shifting in and out yeah, between those contexts? It's, it's difficult in terms of especially once you because I mean I, I came to Japan just from day one I, I, I arrived to Japan two days in Tokyo for an orientation and once I get to Yamaguchi I'm already I have to go to work I have to go to work to like give a small speech to everybody who I'm gonna work from the next day and in your mind you're I think one of the I mean and in your case so now I am I'm here and I am like and right now in, inside of this office, I am. Let's say, I mean, if I'm going to speak, in, if I'm speaking to my boss, I have to keep, I have to keep my the kendo or the, the honorifics towards the person, and keeping myself at a lower, let's say, uh, um, what's the word, at um, for at a lower stance, let's say. But um, then, for example, the most you learn about these things. But then, for example, picking up the phone. And somebody over the phone wants to talk to your boss, but then you need to keep in mind that, you know, the, that even though your boss, when you're talking to him, he's at a higher position right now, the person who's on the phone on the other side, you, the whole, where your workplace becomes just one, just one, uh, identity, one unit. And you just need to keep the whole unit, uh, let's say at a lower uh, at a lower stance from the person who's on the other side of the phone. But then at the same time, as soon as you, maybe you're going to pass that call you need to wait and then you talk to your boss and then you need to go back to that to that honorifics inside of of your workplace unit so yeah it's 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 nerve-wracking at first keeping in i mean keeping all tabs on all these on, on where, where am i right now who's and and i think that's living here in japan and you can that's one of the biggest challenges always knowing uh, knowing knowing your 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 place where you're supposed to be right now and 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 you can people who who have a higher proficiency and i think understanding keeping the situation i mean knowing who you are and where you're going and what you're doing at that place i mean that's that helps you a lot in in the in the conversation strategies i would say it's mm -hmm. uh in english i mean there's i mean you learn a little bit of a conversation strategies and Opener, openers and closers and there's all these if you want to a conversation to just go on somewhere else or you just want to end this up because you need to go or whatever there's the same structures in japan but plus alpha you need to keep in mind where uh let's say like what's your what's what's your relationship with that person that you're talking to so um it's a lot of learning and a lot of practicing and i mean i would say that alongside with with chinese characters with kanji uh, Keigo is one of the most challenging parts of, of learning Japanese, I think. Sure, sure, absolutely, yeah. So they, that, um, those challenges with learning Japanese, so what what has been your, your greatest success, would you say, in, in learning Japanese? 
just generally speaking if you could reflect a little bit about like going back to 2011 coming as coming with with your conversational japanese skills as you had as obviously you needed for cir and you mentioned level two of the japanese language proficiency test but if we forward 10 years later right it's 2021 throughout that time what would you say has been the biggest the high point of of your japanese language learning (laughs) the high point of japanese language learning well i guess then that might take it into uh what you were talking about identity and Mm -hmm. and um so learning about your place and once you have a language and you have your language skills foreigners is i mean uh at least until until recently i would say there was just like we're talking about knowing your place there was a place for us and uh and you're and you're which is teaching foreign languages or specific parts of of the of the society and uh and once you you become proficient enough to to just be able to talk to anybody and to deal with most situations with ease most japanese people just really many times just don't know really what to do with you in terms of <laughs> where are you supposed to where where are you supposed to fit in or, or or not? I mean, I think especially now in 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 bigger cities, if you're in if, if you're in a large city in Japan, and depending on where you work, it's it's, it's quite different. But achievements in terms of Japanese, I think once you start learning a you you get in the adventure of learning a foreign language, uh, you have all these dreams. You know, I mean, you're this this oh I'm learning this, and many people oh I want to watch the film without any subtitles, mm. or I want to be able to just travel and not ask anybody in any foreign language and just be able to talk or or I just want to be able to read the newspaper you have all these sort of goals that you that that you start having on your own and um and yeah definitely in in these in in all these years I've been here you I don't know you 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 blend in you you realize and uh language language it, you, you go that transition in between language being the objective of what you want to do and and there comes a time when when language needs to i mean i mean stops being the objective and it been, just becomes the let's say the, the the vehicle of whatever you want to go across you it's i think uh of course learning a language and and having and going through those stages where you're oh like I was able to just go through a whole conversation without nobody helping me in English or another language and and you feel oh you feel great but uh, yeah it comes to the point where you know you start you, you work and you deal with with daily life in, in in Japanese language and and I think for me the the maybe this is not as language related maybe but but the biggest challenge was just okay now that i have this language and 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 it takes a while and it takes time to become proficient maybe you sort of lose focus on oh and what am i supposed to do with this like i mean you 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 make you i don't know you you sort of you you, you make this great i don't know i'm gonna i'm not it's gonna work the analogy you have the, you you make your own fishing rod and it's great and you've and you've made that the top of the line let's say fishing rod but then after that you need you need to be able to go and take it and and, and fish and 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 do and make good use of it. So I think that's also that's maybe this is not the main point of this of this whole podcast of this conversation. But I think this is and this is something that I'm. I mean, even as of now, I'm still. I mean, uh, thinking of where 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 it could be taken, where it should be taken, and it's uh, and it's interesting. And in terms of Portuguese and English, I I found my ways of 
of, of, of my finding a way of using it. But I, I guess it also has to do with talking about what we talked at the beginning about identity and country in terms in, in, in places like the Spanish or Portuguese, uh, let's say the, the, um, the spectrum or in English, it's everything is much more free and, and, you know, you're sort of much more on your own. Whereas in terms of Japan, you have this one country, one language uh, where things are a bit more rigid. And sometimes it's, it's a, it's, it's a bit harder to break away from, from this, from, from what you're supposed to be doing once you get these, these language skills or mm. so, and, and just, you know, maybe when you try to do new things, getting everybody else around you to say, no, you don't just, you know, this doesn't need to be you know limited to just this. It can be taken, it can be pushed forward in, in many ways. And I think this is, it's just uh, the experience of living here as, well, I mean, being here as a foreigner and trying to, you know, try new things and, and getting people to, to see things in a different way. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm explaining myself. <laughs> no, exactly. I think you're touching on some good points there. So I think like, do you, have you ever felt like constricted a little bit with your your Japanese identity versus your English speaking identity or your Portuguese speaking identity? Is there can you speak to anything like that comparing those how you connect with with the languages in that way? Is there is there any any type of constriction on on being in Japan as a as a as a non-native Japanese speaker? Is there yeah. anything anything there? I think Especially, we, I mean, in every language, when you're talking to a person or, or or not, you you go and you have this sort of conversation structures, and that uh, that they're quite they're, they're quite different in every language. I I almost feel as many times as when I'm speaking Spanish or I'm speaking Portuguese or I'm speaking Japanese that I'm almost like a different person. Many times, and maybe you've you've seen this when somebody is speaking in uh in japanese and then they switch back to english like whoa their their tone of voice changes their their expressions their and um and i think that has a lot to do in especially in, the, in terms of japanese of what we're talking about you're you're supposed okay so be careful with this don't say this don't say that use the right word and then you're just sort of like they're, when you're starting at the beginning with japanese you're giving all these things and you have to juggle them at the same time and then okay now just get on this motorcycle and then go <laughs> <laughs> so so of course people are gonna people are gonna be careful and maybe you know i mean being afraid of making mistakes or saying more than making mistakes is saying something that's going to be embarrassing so of course this limits your your communication a lot there's there's a lot of topics that you can openly talk about and some of them that you don't in terms of the spanish or the hispanic background people i mean quite easily they maybe they start talking about politics or something that's quite controversially in other places and some people just extrapolate that and then they start speaking in, they're speaking in Japanese and they start talking about I don't know I mean something historical or something that's controversial people or something that just usually in Japan people don't talk about and uh, and it's not that they're not proficient in Japanese it's just that these sort of conversations people usually don't don't have them or they don't have them in this in 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 this structured way so I think this is this happens a lot in terms of a lot of Japanese uh, uh, foreigners speak. I mean, foreign speakers of, of Japanese. There's a lot of things that they want to talk about, and maybe the counterparts, the Japanese people, maybe they they just haven't really ever talked about these topics in this sort of conversation. I mean, 
and the, if you talk about the history or something, they say, well, yeah, I mean, I've talked about this in class maybe, but not over drinks, you know, I mean, this has a lot to do with culture and everything, but, but yeah, definitely the difficult part sometimes is uh, how there's all these things I want to talk about and there's all these things I want to express. Does, does my, does the person that I'm talking to really want to, we really wants to hear this or it's really used to hearing about this or not. And, and just sort of figuring all these things out. It's, it's, it's difficult. Sometimes conversations, especially in terms of Japanese, well, it happens in Spanish too, but they have sort of a structure. You start at Suides Ne, it's hot. You, you, there's, there's all this coda that you have that you sort of follow through. So once you sort of go through all this membrane of, let's say conversations that you go through, that's that's when maybe you can finally get to talk to the things that you want to talk about. But this this has to do with, I don't know, becoming really good friends with this person or just, I mean, having enough, let's say, I mean, confidence and you being acquainted enough with this person to be able to to talk about those issues that you want to talk about. So Sure, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great insights there. And um, so... I'm going to ask you one more question. I'm going to paint a, set up a situation for you. So I'll, yeah. besides, we're going to leave Spanish out of, the, out of the equation. But imagine yourself going into a house. There's three rooms in the house, right? In room number one, there is, it's the English room. So everything you can imagine access to, but everything's in English. You got your music, your TV, your posters on the wall, whatever you can imagine. A library of English books is in the English room. Room number two You've got Portuguese, same same type of idea. All the access to the music, cultural things, TV, radio, YouTube channel, everything's in Portuguese. Room number three is Japan. You you've got you know a tatami room, whatever it may be. You know, <laughs> you got yeah. Japanese music. You, you get the picture where I'm going with this. So you come into this house. Which room? would you feel the most comfortable being in and which one would you be most excited to be in if you could just choose one and i'm kind of trying to get at which of these three second languages that you have do you would you say you most identify with and and why mm. that maybe a difficult question but, yeah, it's a, yeah it's a bit i mean definitely i mean but um i guess it's we're we're i mean i'm quite conditioned in terms of in English, you, you're, you're preconditioned in terms of a lot of people whose English is not their main language and a lot of their media that they create, they create it in English because they know that's how it's going to be, uh, let's say, I mean, how it's going to be widespread into the world and how, I mean, strategically, a lot of people who maybe at first they don't wish to produce any media in English, they do so because of, because of the way the world works, I, I would mm-hmm. say. And if you look at if you look at it that way in a very, let's say in a pragmatic way, well, English is definitely going to give me the most amount of media and the most varied amounts of media. So if if I'm going to be in this room for a long time, let's say imagine like in a COVID situation where I'm where I'm stuck there for a year or so, maybe I would choose. Uh, I mean, I would I would choose the English place because i mean i would choose that 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 english language room especially because uh in the case of japanese and portuguese well portuguese even though you have other countries the the lens through which everything is is seen is is still is still just most of the times just one culture 
and just one viewpoint that is uh, that is preferred, I would say, especially in, in terms of Japan. Uh, but when you when you look at English language, I mean, there's I mean, different countries, different people who use English as a second language, and they and they get their that Hispanic point of view of the world across in English, or that Portuguese point of view across. So. If we're talking about a place where I'm going to be for, let's say, survival in terms of like, I mean, living there and knowing what to do with the world and whatnot, I mean, definitely for I would I would choose the the, the English room, the um, Japanese room would be definitely a place where I can where I can just enjoy and sit and 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 delve into into the culture and read all these literature books and and things that I love. And uh, I know if I can, I mean, I know I, I know your question is choose only one, but maybe <laughs> may, maybe just be in the English room for, I mean, for during my weekdays and then maybe in the Japanese room for for weekends every once in a while or something like that. I'm not sure. <laughs> right. Huh? Yeah. Well, the beauty of it is you don't, you get, you get to choose whatever room you want because you have, you have the access now, but I was just curious which one would be, which one would be the one that you would probably Tend, tend to if you had a choice like oh you got a week here a week there whatever so but that yeah it's fascinating yeah you get but i think yeah the whole point was i mean you get the options I and mean, you've put the work in to to connect with with four languages that are you know widely widely used worldwide right you get spanish and yeah. portuguese i think they're both in the top at least in the top 20 spoken languages yeah. worldwide and japanese is, is as well and english is you know obviously you know spoken by you know now like 1.5 billion people so your access is, exactly. is very high which is which is <laughs> exciting you know so that's what what are there any other other languages that you are curious on i know you dabbled with chinese for a while um are you still yeah. interested in in learning chinese or any other arabic or any other languages um going forward of course, i mean in terms of for example when you when you learn English, for example, you learn that you you learn about Middle English and Anglo-Saxon. You see how all these other languages come in, and of course, when it came to Japanese, you're learning Chinese characters, and you're seeing how, uh, even though linguistically it might not be the same, I mean, there's a huge influence from Korean and uh, and and Chinese, and there's all I mean, and and it and it just helps you so much to understand the the identity so much better, especially when that's that social political standpoint when you when, when you see other parts just trying to just pull the the whole let's say the the what's the word to pull the man narrative towards somewhere else it's it's always interesting when somebody's trying to pull right you just sort of peek to the left and and just see that it's quite different from i mean uh, and 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 it's sort of in it's interesting because the whole i mean the trying to relate in between, let's say, Japanese and Chinese and, and Korean, and it, I sort of feel in this sort of try to swim in a different direction and actually seeing all these all these interesting links. And I've actually I've been to China, and uh, and uh, one of the things that one of the things that if, if I had I don't know if I just won the lottery tomorrow and I had time to just go and research and do my own thing, um, and I just want to leave this as one of the last points maybe for for somebody else maybe to pick it up. In Europe, uh, and especially in the northern, the and in the in Portuguese and in, in in the Portuguese and the Spanish-speaking world, we have this education based on, let's say, on Greco-Roman uh, background, classical background, and, and 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 we understand it as a sort of 
the, the, the ancient Greeks and the Romans are one thing, and, 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 and nowadays Italians and Greeks, it's just, it's different. And, and, we, and we, we accept it as a part of a background, and we're sort of proud about it. I mean, you look at the, the it happens in Western culture. You look at all the uh, Congress buildings in the United States, and they all have some sort of imitation of a Greek, of Greek columns and styles. And, um, and yeah, and what I, want to, what I want to say is if you transpose this into East Asia, East Asia, in actual fact, there's this huge influence of, of classical Chinese and Korean into, I mean, and, and we're talking about Vietnam and, and, and Korea and Japan, but, but there's this, it's quite difficult for them to just let go and say, well, this is, this is 2,000 years ago with China and this is 2021 China or Korea or Japan. Uh, I mean, we, in, I guess in the West, we have an easier way of just cut through and say, well, this, this is a different country. And now this is understanding them as different identities. Whereas uh, in East Asia, there's this sort of, uh, I don't know, there's this narrative where nations are supposed to just be one and unchanged for the past 5,000 years. And, and it's the same way if you look at the lineage of the Japanese imperial family or there's always this, uh, there's, there's, there's this effort to perpetuate and to, and to show that things have stayed unchanged throughout the time. I mean, this is, and, uh, and it's, and it's quite interesting how, and just as a lot, even though in, it seems that way in the case of Japan, in the high school curriculum, people learn classical Chinese and they, and they have this specific way of just memorizing everything through Japanese, but they're actually memorizing classic classical Chinese and, and, uh, and it's interesting because even though a lot of people maybe don't talk about it, they don't even realize they are, they're, they're doing the same thing we did in Spain, which is, you know, learning cla- the Iliad or the Aeneid, learning classical Latin and Greek. And, uh, and I find fascinating how, for example, this whole, how classical, the classical world education, how it's, how it's, how it's taken here in, uh, in East Asia and how it's taken in uh, in South America or in, in Europe because even when I was in Venezuela there was again there were people, you could learn Latin you could learn I mean there were people learning ancient Greek as well so this this the whole European let's say the structures everything just you know extrapolated into into South America but yeah this is this is just one point that I think I found quite interesting in terms of uh, language learning and identity, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very interesting, fascinating stuff. So just to, I'm just gonna do a quick wrap of what we kind of talked about. So I think today my my big takeaways from Jorge is, you know, I think context is is of utmost importance in 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 what I hear from Jorge's story with his experience living in various cultures and um, connecting to different communities which he was able to connect to all over the world um, from moving to Florida you know back to Spain and to the UK and then into Japan I think he you've done a wonderful job connecting with that and having that that linguistic awareness of language too as I think has been you know an important an important takeaway from from our, our talk today and also just how complicated and varying and vast the the identities you've connected with um, through your language learning um, journey so far has, has provided a lot of good insights for me moving forward and hopefully for people listening um, to this program that um, 
we can continue the conversation and continue to find little answers from yeah. people all over. So thank you so much for coming on, on the show today, Jorge. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so to much. See you. It's a, it's been a great opportunity to actually, I mean, sort of reminisce and look back and, and, and talk about many things. And then at the same time, just sort of interact and then, and, and seeing how, you know, I mean, you, you go along the way and you just pick up different play, I mean, different things, which actually, I mean, help you, you know, make who you are and, and just, I mean, as elastic, I would say definitely, I mean, learning languages, like I said, you, you become a different person. You, you just add different, different new use, I would say. Right. Every right. time you learn a new language. Shifting voices. Up next on the Shifting Voices podcast, we head over to Montreal, Quebec, Canada for a conversation with Sai Mino, a dental technician from Kochi, Japan. Sai shares with us the differences and similarities between learning English in Japan and a small community in Canada as well as what it is like learning and using French in her daily life in Quebec. Make sure and stay tuned to the next episode of Shifting Voices.